0: We have with us today, Executive Director of Hoosier Environmental Council, Sam Carpenter. And he's going to be talking to us about some bills that are going through the legislative session and uh, which ones the HEC is for or against. Um, First one I think we'll start with there is HB 1383. That's a wetlands bill that would reduce the amount of wetlands that are protected by changing the definition of class three wetlands. Um, what's the status of of that one or or anything you want to um, put in about that?
1: Well, yeah, you started with a big one there. So 1383 is a kind of a a push on forward to further erode wetland protection in Indiana. This is um, uh, a fight that took up in 2021 on Senate Bill 389, that um, eroded some of the existing wetland protection at that time. This is a, a kind of a push on top of that. Um, 1383 would reclassify some class three wetlands, which are most uh, protected wetlands and require the highest uh, mitigation rates. And mitigation is really essentially just rebuilding wetlands somewhere else. Um which frankly a a built uh west wetland, a planted wetland, often doesn't uh have the same effectiveness or success at the services that wetlands provide than a, a natural wetland. Um but thirteen eighty three uh would further reduce the amount of class three wetlands in Indiana. Um there was uh you know Hoosier Environmental Council has been part of a a group of advocates that have um, worked to introduce counter legislation, uh, legislation that would address um, some of the concerns that developers and builders have with our wetland permitting process um, to provide more visibility into um, the process and uh, simplify it some by really essentially combining the uh, federal process that's with the Army Corps of Engineers in our state uh, process uh, into a a single kind of classification and more simplified classification system. So that's something that Hoosier Environmental Council worked with the uh, Conservation Law Center and other wetland advocates to develop legislation to offer as an alternative. Unfortunately, that has not been given consideration. Um, We were not really part of conversations with um item and the builders Indiana builders association that developed 1383 um so i think they've uh they felt quite a bit of um you know pushback on 1383 and as a result rather than really considering uh reconsidering that legislation they're 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 rushing it uh they moved it up to a hearing in the senate It's starting in the House. They moved it to a Senate hearing uh, that's going to be tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, the 31st. Um, And that's uh, weeks in advance of a normal switch from one chamber to the other. So in the face of confrontation, they are rushing rather than responding, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, We have had about uh, a thousand uh, emails go out to legislators uh, just through Hoosier Environmental Council alone in terms of um, people saying, please oppose 1383. Our wetlands are important. And I know other organizations are involved as well. So they're hearing that. Um, they're responding, just not the right way.
0: And so on the flip side of that, there is Senate Bill 246, which I believe is scheduled to be heard today, January 30th, Tuesdays, when we're talking. Um, And that's the one put forth by Senator Sue Glick of uh, LaGrange and Senator Blake Doriot of Goshen. Yeah, uh, that would extend the existing program, uh, the voluntary incentives, right?
1: Yes, it would. It it would allow voluntary tax incentives for private landowners who choose to protect wetlands on their grounds. Um, So that is something that we're celebrating. We're supporting uh, we're advocating for, and as I understand it, that hearing was today, and it did make it out of that committee. So uh, that is a bill that um, will need to go to the full Senate chamber to be moved on over to the House. Um, but we appreciate that Senator Glick has put that forward um, and been an advocate for wetlands, and um, we're seeing some progress on that bill. It is good to see have those areas to. Uh, To celebrate and support uh, when we're faced with so many um, bills that actually uh, go put move uh, Indiana in the wrong direction toward environmental sustainability. One one other thing I'd like to add on about thirteen eighty three. So right now there is a proposed massive water withdrawal from the Wabash. River over to Boone County Leap District. I've heard different uh, numbers in terms of the miles, but about 35 miles of pipeline that would uh, transfer up to uh, 100 million gallons of water per day to support a development in Boone County called the Boone County Leap District. Um, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, the IEDC, has said. That that water is needed to support uh, advanced manufacturing that they want to attract to that leap to development and and they say that central Indiana has a projected shortage of water. Uh, Indiana's water supply is not going to be able to keep up with our projected growth in central Indiana. So they say that water transfer is needed for both reasons. As a result, the governor, Governor Holcomb, has um, asked for a study by the Indiana Finance Authority to do a comprehensive study of Indiana's water supply. So, at a time when our water supply is in question, um, we're looking to have to uh, transfer. Up to 36 billion gallons of water a year from one aquifer to the other, um, our wetlands are under further uh, erosion of protection. Now, the reason that's important is because our wetlands are very connected to our aquifers. They recharge, they refill our aquifers. Our aquifers are very connected to our water supply. So, um, this is the wrong time to be reclassifying, uh, removing protection from our wetlands. Um, we really need to be focusing on our wetlands as being part of our comprehensive water strategy for the state.
0: And so does, uh, I guess there are two bills, house bill 1305 and bill two that deals with, uh, major withdrawal facilities. Does, is, is that to do with, with that project as well?
1: Yeah, so right now we don't really have uh any sort of regulation or permitting around water withdrawals. Um major water withdrawals, um, I'm not sure what the number is, is is I think it's like 10 million gallons a day or uh, or <clears throat> what is considered significant um are supposed to be reported to DNR, uh Department of Natural Resources. There's just a uh, requirement to report it. There's no permitting or anything along those lines. So really, um, when you're withdrawing water, um, because it's coming from the aquifer, we're all connected. All our wells, all our water is connected underground through these aquifers. So it's not like it's the water on your land. It's really the water on everybody's land um, or underneath it. And so... There were uh, attempts by Representative uh, Nagel and uh, Senator Deary, who are in the region that's impacted by the uh, proposed water withdrawal, uh, to offer legislation that would require some permitting around these major withdrawals and, and to start looking at developing a comprehensive plan for Indiana. Neither of those bills have received hearings. Uh, through the House or the Senate Utilities Committees. Um, that means they're uh, dead on arrival in the General Assembly. Um, so that's a uh, frustration, um, and those were attempts to, uh, to deal with that issue, but they have not uh, been able to move forward.
0: Mm, there's another one uh, to do with water issues, uh, Senate Bill 259. Uh, local wastewater and clean energy districts?
1: Yeah, that's a bill um, by Senator Kedora that would allow, uh, um, as I understand it, I haven't seen the most recent copy, but would allow for Marion County to create these districts that would encourage investment in clean energy and clean water. From the clean energy standpoint, there's cost savings, that come with clean energy, with renewable solar um, that and, and efficiency uh, standards that can actually um, go toward the um, cost of the installation. So it would allow a funding mechanisms to uh, put those future cost savings toward the initial development and investment. Um, So that's something that's done in a number of states. And so that was a good bill that we supported. Unfortunately, uh, that one does not look like it's going to move forward in this session.
0: Mm. Well, I see another one that you guys are for is uh, House Bill 117. And uh, I guess that's to do with grants for schools to do lead testing.
1: Yeah, this is one of our uh, positive areas that... um, uh, Representative Jackson has helped uh, move forward um, a bill that would allow uh, grants for lead testing for for schools and rem- remediation. Um, there's also another bill around lead that is uh, SB five. It's a bipartisan bill that would allow easier access to lead service lines, so and so that they could be uh, more easily replaced. Um, in in less costly in that replacement, um, you know, Hoosier Environmental Council has been involved with lead um, issues through a uh, uh, contract that we have with the Indiana Department of Health. Um, we have a program where we have been uh, educating, raising awareness about the importance of lead testing among young children we're we're working partnering with the NAACP and the minority health coalition in the um in 10 different communities around the state um to encourage uh lead testing among kids now uh preliminary results uh, we've had over uh through our partners have had over 10,000 conversations Interactions with people. And we've seen over a 12% increase in testing in those communities where we're active. Um, And that's compared to about a 3% increase in communities that we're not active in. So, um, lead and health and child's health is something that's important to us. And um, we're seeing that, um, seeing some good things happening in the legislative session around lead health uh you know the the um harmful impacts of lead poisoning among young kids as well so we're encouraged to see that
0: and i believe that sb5 has passed the yes
1: i think both of those bills are progressing um and i don't have the latest uh update on that uh kind of at my fingertips right now though
0: you know water issues is uh is, is a lot of what uh you guys are dealing with right now and another one that relates to that that you guys oppose is uh 1399 uh about PFAS and apparently it wants to limit the definition of, of these forever chemicals
1: yeah and the concerns about the PFAS is one is they're they're everywhere um they're in our um, nonstick kind of, they have a nonstick quality because they're these very um, tightly bound molecules that um, hold together so tightly they, they don't really degrade over time. Uh, but they've been used in like nonstick cookware. They've been used on liners of uh, pizza boxes. They've been used in our clothing um, that kind of waxy material, if you uh, buy a you know cat or dog food in that type of old kind of paper waxy bag, has PFAS. Um, and uh, so there's um, there was a bill last year that required reporting on um, like. Blood tests on uh, firefighters that are exposed to PFAS through firefighting foam and uh, firefighting gear, and to monitoring monitoring their health, um, and that was an acknowledgement that that PFAS are harmful. Um, they do have detrimental health effects, um, and that went through um, with uh, bipartisan support. Um, now, kind of as a result of that. Um, getting ahead of any future potential regulation um this bill has attempted to limit the parameters or the definition of what pfas material can be regulated even though there is no state regulation of pfas they're saying well if there were a regulation we want to limit it to this very narrow definition um so it's kind of uh it's it's trying to get ahead of a potential um, limitation of accountability for these toxic materials that are going into our waterway um, and into our bloodstream. The the reason they're called forever chemicals is because they don't break down. And so even though you might get very small exposure, over time, they accumulate and they build up in your body. And that's when you start having these negative health impacts so the environmental uh, protection agency epa is looking at federal regulation of pfas um and so that's where you know if if we put state uh, limits on regulation uh that will be um, outweighed by the federal so um this is kind of a silly bill because it's we don't even have state regulation and they're trying to limit the regulation. Uh, we are opposed to it, uh, but it does seem to be moving forward.
0: Yeah, my uh, dear friend actually that I took care of in home hospice was in his early 80s and he passed from metastatic, metastatic renal uh, cancer and kidney cancer is one of the things that's associated with the PFAS. Mm. I mean, it's not not an abstract issue to some of us out here
1: no no i'm sorry um, to hear that
0: it's an, it's a, it's a, what's the um next bill that you would like to focus on there's just a few that you're pro that are positive ones another let's see opposition one is to do with the uh bobcat hunting
1: yeah so yeah um this is kind of a, a case of the uh, what we see is the Indiana General Assembly overreach in terms of telling uh, uh, governmental agencies what to do. So they are, the Depart- Department of Natural Resources has the ability to create a bobcat uh, hunting season, uh, to take bobcat uh, in Indiana uh, if they deem that. They are not endangered. Uh, Bobcats were once an endangered species in Indiana, um, but there's been no real scientific uh, survey or study of their, um, you know, their numbers now in different parts of Indiana. There's only been, uh, you know, sightings that people have reported, um, and they're using that to base the uh, assumption that, Um, bobcats are no longer endangered. Um, So we do oppose this uh, legislation, and we think that um, the General Assembly should not be dictating to the DNR that they need to create a hunting season for bobcat. Uh, The DNR has that ability to make that decision based on uh, doing a more thorough and scientific study of bobcat numbers um and so why then uh, tell them they have to do that by july uh, 2025 which is i believe the uh the date um so that's a uh that is another piece of legislation that we're opposed to
0: okay the house bill 1165 a regulatory sandbox
1: yeah um so this is a uh Allows for consideration of bypassing health and environmental regulation um, in some instances for new business development. Development so um, for communities, um, I mean, this could be seen as an environmental justice issue for communities that have received the brunt of bad um, environmental policy and decision making. Um, That have had the high concentrations of different contaminants, um, air quality uh, issues. Um, Here is a bill that offers a way for businesses to bypass health and environmental concerns. Um, So, yeah, we're in opposition to that. Um, One, unfortunately, a theme within the Indiana General Assembly is to. Uh, remove the um, expertise um, that's within the agencies uh, of IDEM, of uh, Indiana Department of Environmental Management, uh, DNR, um, other agencies, uh, the Office of the Chemist, um, to remove the ability for them to use their expertise to create rules and guidelines um, and kind of handicap them doing that. Another bill that does that is Senate Bill 297. Um, This is a rulemaking bill that would require that uh, agency rules that would have a fiscal impact of a million dollars or more, first be approved by the Indiana General Assembly. So uh, telling the agency, no, you can't make a rule related to your expertise, related to the legislation that we've passed. If it's going to have uh, this fiscal impact, um, then first the Indiana General Assembly has to approve it. Now, I don't know about you, but I would rather have uh, people with trained professional expertise making decisions about uh, rules and regulations rather than our politicians who have to deal with, you know, a thousand different bills in a session. Um, they don't have the expertise to make those determinations. Um, that's why we have government agencies. So this bill uh, would, again, put a, a limit. This is similar to uh, a bill last year that uh, removed the ability of the Office of the Chemists to make determinations about pesticides. Um, instead, the General Assembly wanted to uh, approve a uh, new pesticide's coming onto the market, or or disapprove. Um, so this is a a, a theme that uh, is c- continues on within the Indiana General Assembly. Uh, there's a couple more that I'd like to talk about, if I can. Sure. Um, one is um, a bill. It's called uh, HB 1193. This is a bill that Representative Hamilton put forward uh, to support uh, the development of community solar in Indiana. Unfortunately, this bill has not progressed. Uh, looks like it's not going to receive a committee hearing and uh, therefore uh, has died in the House. Um, but community solar is an opportunity for Hoosiers to benefit from clean renewable energy um, with a lot of the barriers taken away, so those barriers could be the upfront cost of buying solar panels and putting them on your home. That could be a uh fifteen twenty thousand uh, dollar investment uh that's not uh available uh, that's not an available option to a lot of uh hoosiers um Another uh, barrier is uh, you might have a home that doesn't have a good roof for solar you might have live surrounded by trees. Um, you might have a, a a roof like mine that it's just an odd roof and it doesn't work very well. Um, or you might live in an apartment and you don't own a home. Um, so community solar, um, is a way for you to benefit from renewable energy. And those benefits are one, uh, it's affordable. Uh, people who subscribe to a community solar plan typically will get 10 to 20 percent savings on their utility bills, on their electric bills. Um, there's no upfront costs to sign on. The um, other thing is that you get a, a clean power source in your community. And so you're not having the, you know, detrimental impacts of coal burning or fossil fuel generation. Um, on the uh, pollutants that they put in the air and our water and into our atmosphere. Um, So you have a clean source in your community. Uh, You have the investment that goes right into your community. Um, And that uh, smaller scale uh, solar development, up to five megawatts, um, gets connected to the local um, distribution grid, Any sort of connection that needs to be made or any sort of upgrades that need to happen to enable that are paid by the developer. Uh, That means uh, utility rate uh, payers are not paying for that expense. They're not uh, covering uh, that expense. Um, So there's uh, upgrades that come to the distribution grid. And with the increased local power generation, um, that goes to the homes in that surrounding and businesses in that surrounding area, there's not as much need for the transmission grid. So the transmission grid is a grid that uh, you know moves our electrons um hundreds of miles at times to get to where it's the where the need is. Um, that's to uh, pay for upgrades to those transmission um systems is very expensive it's costly and it it can take uh, many years for that to happen um the more power we can generate locally um the less transmission upgrades that we're going to need so there's so many benefits um with community solar so if it's so good then why why don't we have it um the reason is is because it it requires participation Cooperation with the investor owned utilities that uh, dominate power generation in Indiana. Um, You can't have a community solar program if you don't have ready access to customer bills um, so that you can provide a credit on those bills for the power that they um, get credit for through the community solar um, facility. So We need legislation that uh, enables or requires the commitment from the utilities to participate in these programs. Um, The uh, utilities see this as a potential, you know, taking away their market share. Um, And so they have not enabled it. It's the same in every other state. Um, It only happens if there is uh, legislation that enables it. Uh, Fortunately, uh, community solar is something that's growing around the country. Um, We're seeing even our neighbor in Ohio um, with community solar legislation that seems to be moving forward. Uh, Wisconsin, um, Illinois has a strong community solar uh, program. Minnesota. Um, So hopefully, we'll see progress with community solar. Uh, Hoosier Environmental Council is part of a coalition uh, called the uh, Hoosiers for Community Solar, Um, and we're active participants in that and want to see bipartisan legislation, uh, you know, put forward in a future year to uh, get this moving forward.